Today on Ag News Daily. Colleges need to make you need to remember that it's not one size fits all. Um, there's really good jobs out there for students with one or two year degrees that they can get at their local community college. Listeners, June 28th, 2023, Ag News Daily podcast here. Going to hit some light headlines before we get into a really good conversation today. Delaney, is uh, it a little bit foggy or smoky out at your place? Yeah, you know what? I noticed that last night, Tanner, when I was out on my evening walk that it was unusually foggy or smoky or cloudy, but I'm guessing you've got the reason why. Yeah, we, uh, of course, are dealing with more smoke coming from the Canadian wildfires. Weather maps are lit up this morning as heat waves move throughout the southern half of the country and the smoke from the Canadian wildfires create low air quality in the northern states. Extreme heat will continue for a large stretch between Kansas and eastern New Mexico, then push east from to central Kentucky into the Gulf Coast region. Central Missouri, southern Illinois heat indexes will soar to as high as 110 today. Arkansas will see values that exceed 110 degrees. Of course, Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan are the ones that are dealing with the air quality index. Right now, we are currently under a stagnant air warning. I can't believe that uh, I have ever seen that before pop up on my phone, but ultimately this is leading to an analyzation of the month of June. Drought conditions continue to deepen and expand. As of June 20th, 64% of the crop is estimated to be in some type of a drought concern, and that is the fifth driest June in more than 30 years, Delaney. So we'll continue to see if some of these patterns turn to rain in July, but ultimately we had a pretty dry June. And that shouldn't be the trend moving forward, Tanner, because as we know, we're starting to see a lot of reports of changing weather patterns here for the month of July, but only time will tell there. In some other news here, not weather related, Tanner, but definitely important to our agricultural producers. As we know, the Biden administration's version of WOTUS, where really it was a couple versions that we've seen over the last couple of administrations, because it seems like every administration has spun their own touch on WOTUS. But for the latest version that was just struck down by the Supreme Court in May, which was the Biden administration's spin on the rule, the EPA plans to complete a proposed rewrite of the 2023 Waters of the U.S. rule on or before September 1st. The agency filed a motion to stay an ongoing WOTUS lawsuit in federal court on Monday, telling the U.S. District Court for the District of North Dakota that a rewrite is on the way. Federal defendants respectfully request that the court stays the case, said the EPA in their motion. Good cause exists for this request. Federal defendants are developing a new rule to amend the 2023 rule consistent with SACIT, which is the recent court case we saw a couple of weeks ago. So, Tanner... On before September 1st is fairly quickly here. So they must have been working on this already and we're just now getting public comment that it is taking shape. Yeah, things don't move that quickly. Uh, You are absolutely probably assuming correctly. Uh, Another federal agency, the EPA, is being sued by a landowner and is demanding a jury trial. 
stated here that a federal agency should not be able to act as the judge, the jury, and the executioner, according to the filed lawsuit. Thomas and Amy Villegas bought 80 acres in Lincoln County, Nebraska. The ground was a mix of farmland, pasture, and river bottoms lined with streams and ponds adjoining the Platte River. The husband and wife bought this property for recreational and hunting use and noticed that it had an invasive species of vegetation and uh, noticed it had decaying trees. The heavy pressure of phragmite, P-H-R-A-G-M-I-T-E-S, was the invasive species of weed that the Vilgas family began to take control of. They paved a road, I shouldn't say paved, they created a road into their property so that they could utilize equipment to begin the restoration of this property when a neighbor called the EPA. The EPA slapped them with a $300,000 fine, accused them of dumping dirt, rock, culverts, and trees, as well as sand into the water of the United States. The EPA claims that 5.7 acres of their property is in a wetland, and that's where the non-compliance is happening. However, the family is stating here that there is no such designation on the legal documents for them taking ownership of their property, as well as the searches they had done prior to their own work, and is pushing back because of the work that they had done. Everything apparently had been documented, but now we are going to see where this heads, the lawsuit was filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Kansas, which is the same region where the EPA launched their investigation. This was filed in April, and now we will see if a federal court picks up this lawsuit and what results come about. Let's see, in some interesting research done by the University of California, Davis, and the carbon footprint of lab-grown meat may not be as small as people think. A lot of the marketing around lab-grown meat or cultured meat from animal cells has been that it's more environmentally sustainable and healthier than raising beef cattle. However, according to some new research coming out from the University of California, Davis, they're suggesting that the carbon footprint of cell-cultured meat is more extensive than the industry has led on. Researchers at UC Davis have been studying the energy cycle and greenhouse gas emissions in each production stage of lab-grown meat, And they've been comparing it to the farm to plate production of raising a beef steer. Currently, the lab grown meat industry faces the challenge of using what they call purified growth media, which uses living organisms to create ingredients to multiply animal cells, which is a similar technology apparently used to make pharmaceuticals. And they said that companies having to purify growth media to pharmaceutical levels use more resources, which then increases global warming potential. I'm sure we'll see lots of other studies, Tanner, following suit here, but will this change the perception for producers? I don't know, but I'm sure UC Davis will have more to say on the topic as they continue to do research about the subject. But early results are suggesting here that that purified media method of making cells, which is a little bit beyond my capacity of understanding fully, Tanner, but apparently using this type of media uses four to 25 times more energy than the average retail beef farm. So that's a lot of potential yeah. carbon that they're emitting more compared to the, to, to climate, uh, to cattle. That is absolutely. So Delaney, as we look and look in again on what's happening between Russia and Ukraine, 
more Russian missiles struck the busy center of the eastern Ukrainian city of Kramatorsk, the nearby village on Tuesday, killing at least 10 people and injuring dozens more. On Wednesday, the shelling in that region killed three additional. The head of the military administration is sharing that information. The Wagner boss has arrived in Belarus, according to the Belarusian president. And satellite images show two planes linked to him landing at the airbase on Tuesday. Putin is lauded his Russian forces who faced the rebellion as the Federal Security Service said that it will continue to remain steady on its ruling to drop all charges. But NATO has increased its preparedness and military presence on the eastern front of the alliance, according to Secretary General. The Estonian prime minister, though, is now creating controversy, calling the Belarus president and nation as co-aggressors with Russia, and she is now urging European allies to boost their defenses. European allies must boost their readiness against both Russia and Belarus, the Estonian prime minister stated in a joint news conference. As she states here, asked whether or not mercenaries would pose a risk in Estonia. We've been considering, she stated, that the Belarus is a co-aggressor, and so they have been working together with Russia. They think that Belarus and Russia have been working together the entire time, so continuing to watch updates through the battle over there, Delaney. Well, Tanner, I think I am almost out of news for today, a little bit of a slower news day today, but I thought this was a was interesting. And I'm curious to get your take, Tanner, on if you would read this book, but former U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer wrote a book that was recently released called No Trade is Free Trade. And apparently the book talks about his time under the Trump administration serving as the U.S. Trade Representative, which, of course, during his time, we saw a lot of tumultuous relationships take a turn with USMCA, uh, China, Japan, etc. But a couple of nuggets from his book apparently were that every time Lighthizer hosted British negotiators in Washington, he insisted on serving them chlorine-treated American chicken, which is a practice that's not allowed in the UK. But it sounds like he just did all sorts of little things, Sander, to try and show people how and why the US did what they did when it came to agriculture, when it came to trade, manufacturing. So he's got lots of little interesting nuggets in there. So actually, I think I it sounds like something that might be kind of interesting. Yeah, especially if you can get one perspective. Uh, obviously, others have been reported, but uh, I don't, not a big reader to begin with, but maybe I would uh, have you just tell me how the book went. The last piece that I've got here seems a little bit humorous, but there's a current University of California Berkeley study going on right now about animals that eat fruit and how they ingest alcohol because naturally occurring yeast and sugar turn into ethanol. And that is a form of uh, alcohol. Obviously we are well aware of that, but now does that make animals feel any different? A new study now is determined to experiment and see whether or not hummingbirds as the subject are turned off by alcohol in their sugar water. And they will test that at different percentages by volume to see if hummingbirds will consume less. The idea here is the rising temperatures that we've been experiencing help to move fermentation along when natural sugars and yeast are combined with the heat to turn potentially into alcohol. So they will most likely have results 
and their first year of studies after this summer, but we'll see here, Delaney, what this actually means. Obviously, the test subjects of hummingbirds is not the full scope of this experiment, but I wonder where that research is headed. Well, Tanner, I am wondering where the markets are going to be headed ahead of Friday's quarterly grain stocks and acreage report because we could see some transition in acreage numbers. Maybe not huge shifts, but we're starting to see some Friday report estimates come out. And it doesn't sound like it's going to be a big market mover, but you never really know. In the meantime, we're seeing markets sell off here on this Wednesday overnight trading session heading into opening session as July corn is down three pennies at 620. D snow crop corn down 14 and a half cents at 546 and a half. In the soybean pits, the July contract is down 18 cents in the overnight at 1477. New crop beans down 26 at 1268 and a quarter. As we look at the hard red winter wheat contracts, July today down 19 and three quarter cents will open at 817 and a half. And a quick refresher at where livestock markets opened yesterday, August live cattle added $1.90 at a buck 72.50. August feeder cattle added the limit yesterday to close at 238.50. And July lean hogs added 72 and a half cents to close at 94.12 and a half. Tanner, Jennifer has definitely been pulling her weight since she came back from her study abroad. We're kicking it over to another uh, conversation she recorded for our listeners today. Today, listeners, we have with us Bill Harmon. He is a professor at Lincoln Land Community College located in Illinois. We recently read an article that Bill was featured in about declining rates in ag programs at community colleges. And Bill, we just thought that was an important topic to talk about, especially since we're an agriculture-based podcast and that's what our world revolves around. So why do you think we are seeing these rates in ag, ag programs around the nation and specifically at your community college? Well, luckily here at Lincoln Land, we're, we've kind of been bucking the trend as far as enrollments. Uh, national era, statewide, and I've looked at the data for the last five years here in Illinois, and it's, it's gone up and down between 2,900 to uh, community college to a high of uh, a little over 3,200. Um, and then it's back down this past, uh, in 2022, it was down statewide again to slightly over 3,000 full-time students at community colleges. Um, here at Lincoln Land, we've been up, we've been on an uptick since 2018. Um, we reached a recent high this past year of 177. But as far as enrollments, um, after the pandemic, obviously, uh, that affected students. We saw kids talking about the gap year concept. Um, it was that the year, uh, the spring of 2020 was really difficult on high school students, especially. Um, we're still seeing the effects of that uh, on students' abilities to, you know, whether it's interact with other students um, to, you know, want to get involved and do, do some extra things. We still see a little bit of that here on our campus. And, and I've talked to my peers at some of the other community colleges and they have, they've seen it as well. And I think we'll still deal with the, the after effects of the, the pandemic and the shutdown of all the public schools for, for a few more years, at least. Um, you know, those, those kids are still learning how, you know, they missed out on this important time and they're, they got to catch up on those uh, before they can move forward. 
Absolutely. I don't doubt that at all. I actually attend Iowa State University, and I can agree with that, that we're seeing that um, throughout my campus as well. And with all of that information that you just said, and the declining rates of enrollment, meaning that we're going to have less students um, graduating to go into the workforce and be qualified to a certain extent for certain jobs, what effects are we seeing on the industry because of this? Or what will we see? Well, we, we've we've seen a shortage of qualified agriculture graduates. Um, I've been doing this for over 30 years, um, and at least for the last probably 15 to 20 here on our campus, and then I think it's industry wide. From what you know, talking to my peers, um, we're not putting out enough graduates. And and I know when I look at the data from you know like studies done by uh, U.S. Department of Labor and the uh, Department of Agriculture, you know we're still seeing an annual shortfall nationwide of. 20,000 or more, you know, graduates from agriculture programs, and that includes two and four-year programs versus the number of new jobs or jobs that need to be filled due to retirements or people leaving the industry nationwide. Um, so, so what's that mean for employers? Well, they either have to try to make do their, if they can get a graduate, you know, maybe who is a business major or, uh, you know, an English major, some, one of those and, and try to help them be successful in an agriculture-based career. Um, that's what they're doing. I know, I, I think is also anecdotally, we've seen, you know, we talk about why is the industry doing things like promoting autonomous machinery for production? Well, they can't find qualified workers at the production level on the farm, in the, you know, in the greenhouse, Um it's at all levels of our industry. We can't find enough qualified graduates. And it's not just agriculture. I know I live in a rural area. Um, skilled tradesmen are hard to find, electricians and plumbers. And so it, it's, you know, it's, a, it's at least regionally, um, if not national issue. So what's that mean? Um, well, employers are going to have to get more creative. Um, we've, we have more employers now who are following the sponsorship model. And so here at Lincoln Land, um, they help us identify possible candidates, or if we have them, we'll bring them to the employers. Uh, the employer agrees to basically pay for that student's education for two years. And in return, the students signed a contract where they're going to work for that business upon graduation for a minimum of two, or maybe three years. Um, so it's a win-win. The, the employers know they have students in the pipeline. The students know they have a job waiting for them. Uh, they get to conduct their internships at those businesses so they can find out early on, do I really want to do this career? Because obviously some of our jobs that we train students for are seasonal and really long hours. You know, if you go into agronomy here in the Midwest, you're going to be working 80 hour, hundred hour weeks in the spring if the weather cooperates um, in the fall as well. So um, that's one way we're seeing it happen. Um, employers are being more proactive. We have companies who want to come onto campus and talk to our students and, uh, you know, explain their, we have career fairs now um, where those employers will tell the students, here's the jobs we have, here's the skill set we need, and here's the benefits. Um, they also have to adapt to the uh, the changing, um, I don't know, personality is not the right way, but the, the what's important to the current generation of college students. Um, it's not all about money for some students. It's not all about, you know, how big of a paycheck will they get. They like the idea of, uh, do I get some flex time? Um, some people might ask, you know, am I going to have to work from an office all the time? And there's some jobs that'll obviously allow you to work remotely, but for the most part, ag businesses need you or need that employee in the in the facility or out meeting with customers. 
Um, but companies are going to have to be more flexible. Um, you know, they're going to have to look at benefits. Um, you know, it's it's a different game. If a, if a company today is wanting to hire, especially at the university level, if they're not active on social media platforms, they're they're getting ignored. I'm from my, my generation. I'm I'm not on any social media. My my wife is. My kids are, um, but I don't. It it just doesn't appeal to me. I don't. Uh, but I'm the exception, not the rule. So if I was trying to hire in a business now, I'd better be on Instagram or Snapchat. Um, Facebook's even become a little passe for this current generation. Um, you know, I'd have you have to go where you have to go where your your market is, and in this case, you're trying your market is potential employees. And you have to go to where they are. Absolutely, and you threw out some great ideas for businesses and colleges or universities to keep in mind when it comes to trying to recruit students to work for them or go to school there. What are some good things that you think students should continue to keep in mind when they're continuing to decide whether they should go down the route of college or not when it comes to the ag programs? Well, um, you know, obviously I'm I'm a product of community college, so I'm biased, um, but I attended university and got both my bachelor's and my master's degrees at the land grant university here in Illinois. Um, the colleges need to make you need to remember that it's not one size fits all. Um, there's really good jobs out there for students with one or two year degrees that they could get at their local community college. For some students, they do need that bachelor's degree. Um, and what I encourage my students and I tell the recruiters who come here from the universities is it's all about fit. Um, you're going to take the same classes um, if you go on and get your bachelor's degree or if you go on to graduate school. So it's where do you feel the most at home? So then you're talking about things like what kind of campus environment is it? Um, how inviting are the facilities and and the students? What you know? What amenities are there? Um, does the campus have a rec center? Uh, uh, you know, I've seen at some different universities in Iowa and Illinois and Minnesota, for example. You know, some some uh, physical. Uh, well, back in the day, we called it the the uh, the physical ed center, but now it's you know it's whatever campus recreation or everything, but you know, workout centers that would put a, a gold's gym or somebody to shame. Um, those are the kind of things that students are looking for. Um, you know, housing, uh, transportation. That's what I really, I tell students when they come through the community college, I said, we're not the destination. We're, we're a step on the way to help get you to your destination. And I think that's how kids need to look at, or potential students need to look at education in general. Where do I want to go? And then what are steps are going to, am I going to take to help me get there? You know, it's important to have a goal for a lot of students, potential students. They don't know it. And I tell 18, 19, 20 year olds, you don't have to know what your future is going to be. That's okay. The community college is a great place to start because you can save a lot of money, take a variety of classes and find something that appeals to you. And then for, then pursue that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's not about the dollars. Um, Students who would go in a job that's really well paid, but if it's, they're miserable on the job, well, it's not worth it. And they're not going to last in that position. So I don't know if I would tell students to fo follow your passion, you know, because maybe your passion is, you know, is, is writing poetry. Well, it's tough to make a living writing poetry. But if your passion is, you know, if you can find something you enjoy working with people or solving problems as we try to feed a growing world population, you can find a really rewarding career in agriculture. Um, the other thing that we have going for us as an industry and as, as far as ag education is those, that number of jobs. 
um, students who have any kind of experience, whether it was maybe they grew up on a large farm or ranch, or maybe they raised backyard chickens. All those things are going to resonate with a potential employer. It shows that you did more than sit on the couch after school and you, you can be responsible. Um, those are those are the pluses. And that's why when I encourage students who don't know for sure if they want to get into agriculture, I said, take a class, try it and, and see if you find something you like there. This is all very great, I think. I think learning perspectives from all three sides, that whether it be education, the business industry, or the student side, is great for everybody to figure out how to work with one another and weigh the pros and cons of each decision in the end. And with all of this information that you said, is there any final thoughts or information that you think would be important for listeners of all kinds to be aware of on this topic? Well, uh, as I said, you know, the ag industry is growing, uh, pun intended. Um, we need people and we need people from one of the things we're trying to do here at Lincoln Land is recruit students, non-traditional students from either the suburban towns here around, we're in Springfield, Illinois, or the school district here in Springfield itself. Um, agriculture doesn't need people who grew up on a farm. I mean, we don't, that's not a requirement. If you did, great. But we need people who are interested in food and fiber and fuel production. If they have an interest, we'll find a place for them in the ag industry. Um, we'll get them the training. We'll give them the skill set they need to go out and get a rewarding career. They'll be able to travel, find their place in the country, wherever they want to live, uh, and and be able to support themselves and, and live in a manner which they they you know they're enjoying, but also to know they're doing something to help society. Thank you so much for sharing all of this information, Bill. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. It's been, been a pleasure. Well, thanks again to Jennifer for jumping in and taking care of that interview. Listeners, we'll be back again tomorrow to bring you more great headlines. But today, what do you say, Delaney? Should let the listeners go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.